welcome to Dead Headspace. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other major platforms, which now includes Ghana, India's largest streaming service. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hey, everybody. And we have a special guest today. He is uh, one that had his debut novel published through the iconic publisher Pulp Horror, Zebra Books, author Ronald Kelly. How's it going, Ron? It's going great. How y'all doing? Pretty good. No complaints. What got you into horror? Well, you know, actually it started before I was even born. You know, (laughs) I've told this story before, but uh, uh, when my mom was pregnant with me, my father was overseas in Germany. So she um, she rented a, a little house in a little town and she was going up in the attic to put some stuff up in the attic. And found a whole big old tall stack of EC horror comics. Uh, you nice. know, Tales of the Crypt and uh, Vault of Horror and all that like that. Mm-hmm. And she brought them down and she read them the whole time that I was, that she was expecting me. So. <laughs> <laughs> While some kids are being read, uh, Curious George and Dr. Seuss, I was, she was giving me a diet of uh, uh, flesh-eating zombies and and monsters and stuff, so... <laughs> but uh, later on, you know, when I was like six or seven, you know, I'd watch the, the local creature feature. And, and you know, I think the, when I was age six, I saw the Preacher of the Black Lagoon, and that really did it for me. You know, it just, mm. and, uh, and then it progressed from there. Um, in high school, um, about my junior year, I, I really wanted to be a comic book artist. So, um I had a fellow classmate, which is really weird because uh, his name is Lowell Cunningham. He, he created Men in Black. So oh, we did comic books together. I did the drawing and he did the writing. And then uh, I got to the point where I wanted to create my own comic books and, you know, comic book characters and stuff like that. And then in my senior year, I started actually writing just fiction. So. So that's that's where I got bit by the writing bug is in senior year of high school. So that's really interesting. Go ahead, Brent. So I, I was gonna say it sounds like you were brought up. Well, I'm, it doesn't sound like you were brought up on a steady diet of horror. You straight out said you were brought up on a steady diet of horror. Um, <laughs> so is that kind of what you uh, sought to write right off the bat, or did you have other uh, avenues you wanted to explore? Actually, I wanted to be a, a Western writer at the beginning because I read a lot of Louis Lemur and and Western books and stuff like that, and and so I really wanted to get in get into that. But the the Western market was so narrow when I started writing, my my agent never could get it get me in. So I just turned to my next love, you know, horror, and 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 I wrote a few short stories and. Submit them to the small press magazines back in the like the mid 80s and mm-hmm. just it took off. You know, it seemed like everybody was kind of hungry for some southern horror because, you know, you know, you have your main horror with with uh, King and then you had uh, like New England horror with Charlie Grant. And and uh, I, would, I just kind of came along with something a little different and something new, you know, so. So I started selling a lot of short stories to the little small press magazines and and um, 
and while I was working, you know, working on novels on the side, trying to get that first novel going and everything. So I saw a term that I really like: Southern fried horror. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, that's kind of something I coined when I when I came back and you know to writing in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I started my own uh, uh, website, Hunter Hunter Goatley, who. Uh, does uh, Robert McCammon's website right, right. put mine together, and he he put that up on the banner, and I said, yeah, no, let's go with that. You know, it sounds good to me. So. That's great, Brennan. You got anything else before uh, I go on to the next one? Yeah, I'm gonna jump like way ahead real quick, and then we can jump right back to where we are. But right. um, with your kind of early interest in westerns, I feel like uh, there's really a big I don't know if market is the right word, but a lot of interest in uh, Westerns mixed with horror right now in kind of the indie community. Um, Is that something you've uh, written anything toward or are planning towards trying out? It's it's funny you should say that because I just uh, kind of made a deal with Thunderstorm Books. We're going to do – I have a – a Western serial I'm going to do. It's going to be like five novels. And uh, I actually got this idea back in the nineties and pitched it to Berkeley books. And they, and it came very close to being picked up by Berkeley books. Um, but they didn't think I could sustain a, like a monster, a book. It's like the premise is a, uh, uh, this guy is uh, chasing after uh, a band of, uh, outlaw vampires and they kill him but an old mojo man uh, Cajun mojo man finds him and uh, brings him back as a zombie gunfighter so um, him and the mojo guy, uh, mojo man uh, pursued the vampires across the west and like every every book was going to have a, them battling a different kind of monster like werewolves and and uh, ghosts and stuff like that, and so this book it's going to be called Dead Eye. So um, this book uh, there's going to be five volumes, and each volume is going to have like three different creatures that they encounter along the way. So, so I'm you looking got, forward to doing that. You got me solving. Yeah, and, and it's going to be five gonna... books over three years. So and Thunderstorm's doing coming. all five of those. That's that? that's awesome. I said, and thunderstorms doing all five of those. Yeah, and they then, are. Then I'm sure I'll, I'll have find another publisher to do like the paperbacks and ebooks and stuff. Yeah, from an outsider's perspective, they seem like a really really cool publisher to work with. Mm-hmm. And I know you've done a couple um, things with them in the past uh, few years or so. Uh, yeah, I've actually done about 15 books with them. So. Oh, well, that's more than a couple. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 republished all the Zebra books in hardcover under uh, the Central Ronald Kelly collection. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. Um, uh, Alex McVeigh did all the covers to that. He does most of my covers, and uh, Zach McCain does a lot of my covers too. So. Okay. So well, you know, whenever I do, you know, do a a book or something, I've got like my guys on the side to help me. You know, mm. I come up with the covers and they paint them and they design the covers and, and we go from there, you know, so, 
So it's very it's very different from when I wrote for Zebra because there you didn't really have any say so at all about what you know, but how it was marketed or how it was presented or anything like that. How did you get involved with them? What did they notice your short stories? Because you you were writing for it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Seven years or so before uh, publishing short stories. Yeah, probably. Yeah, uh, I think my first short story was published in. 1986. Oh, okay, all right, off by three. I'm bad at math. <laughs> but uh, my first novel was published in 1990, so yeah, that was about four, four years. Four ago. years. So how did you get involved with Zebra? Because that was the for, and I know that there's newer listeners, newer readers that don't know who Zebra is, and uh, if you want to maybe throw down a history lesson, I'd love to hear in your words. Well. Zebra was always, you know, well, in, you know, mainstream horror is always was always considered like the redheaded stepchild of <laughs> of uh, paperback horror publishers. But uh, um, I'll tell you how I got involved with them. Uh, I had an agent with Scott Meredith a, uh, Literary Agency uh, wrote my first book, which I, I named uh, the, the, the Tobacco Barn. It was uh, loosely based on my mother's. Uh, psychic experiences as a, ch- a child. She she actually had a gift of second sight. Uh, a lot of people don't believe in that, but I grew up seeing her predict deaths, and and it really tore her up. I mean, she she really wanted to go and tell them you're going to die in a week, and and uh, she just couldn't, you know, because she didn't. But um, it was also the first novel was also um, based on a triple murder. That happened um, in my mother's side of the family too, so I kind of combined the two and wrote the tobacco barn. And my agent at Scott Meredith started um, shopping it around. Well, I mm. think he went from the letter A and went all the way through Z because I ended up with zebra. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember when he called me. I was at work. I was a welder then, and. Uh, somebody called me on the phone and he said, uh, uh, we just sold your book to Zebra. And I thought, ah, that's great, Zebra. <laughs> and uh, I thought, uh, here comes the skeletons, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I actually took half a day off because I thought maybe somebody was pulling a joke on me. And I, so I, I said, I got to, you know, I'm going to go home and call this guy back and see if this is legit. And, <laughs> and so on the way home, I, I stopped at a, I think a drugstore or something and got me a couple of zebra books. And of course, by then they had phased out the skeleton, skeleton covers and stuff. And we're doing more, you know, um, just regular kind of covers and stuff like that. And they look good. I mean, it was a very good presentation and all that. So I was kind of uplifted with that, but, and I went home and called him, and he said, yep, you know, they, they want to do it. So so he did the first book, and then, like, three months later, they called and said, we want to do a second book. And then I started doing multi-book uh, contracts with them. So. That's fantastic. Yeah, they're um, highly sought after now. Uh, I can't speak for even ten years back, but I know that Paperbacks from Hell by Grady Hendrix – Mm-hmm. Also helped to push the older, even 70s. I don't know if it goes back to 60s. Brennan, do you know how far it goes back? I know it covers 70s 
eighties and I, I think nineties covers. Yeah. You know? Now say yeah, like, I couldn't tell you exactly. Zebra shut down their horror line in nineteen ninety six. Okay. So that's when I lot. I mean, that was my job there. You know, I'd, I'd written eight novels for them, had two more on their schedule, and then I got the call and said they were shutting it down, and, and you know, I had all my eggs in one basket, and and so I was about a job. <laughs> I've heard Brian Keene specifically give the advice often on his before they close down his podcast saying uh, to authors, don't do that. Based off of his experience with, um, what is it? Oh, wow. It's Leesker. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, no, Dorchester. I was thinking Dorchester. Oh, okay. Well, that was an imprint of leisure, I think. Yeah. That was yeah. the that was just like Kinsman was the publisher for Zebra Books. So. Yeah, yeah. So that that that's uh, I'm listening as a writer myself. That's a lesson right there. Um, before we move on, I know Brennan has questions. I actually was curious how the process in the '80s and '90s was as a writer, just uh, as in submitting to looking uh, in the market. Obviously, you know, besides like everything's on the Internet now, mm-hmm. what was what was it like back then? Because I can imagine it was you know, wait a while for, for it a was word. A, it was a lot of work to it. I mean, you sit down, you, you know, I mean, my first few books I typed, you know, with typewriters and there wasn't any computers or word processors. And I went from a, a manual to a electric typewriter to a word processor to a computer. I mean, it's just a. I mean, I just went along with the technology as it as it came along, and uh, but basically what you did was you wrote a book, you printed it up a couple of copies, and and you mailed it off to the publisher or your agent, which I did. I, I had an agent at that time. I don't have one now, but I did back then, and they submitted it. And sometimes you didn't hear for uh, you know like for six to a year and a half, you know, six Whoa. months, a year and a half. And, um, and then, you know, they would like start the process of putting it together and they'd send you a big old thick proof about the size of two phone books. And you'd have to go through there and, and check, do your corrections and, and proof, proof it and all that. And, and it was a lot of work. I mean, it was, I mean, today it's just, you know, you type it up and you email it, and you can get a, uh, you can get a answer in a matter of minutes or hours or something like that. Just now, that, yeah. When you say a word processor, you're not talking about, and you said a word processor to a computer. You're talking about a literal. It's a keyboard attached to a small display screen. It's yeah. only the word processor. Yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> different yeah, world. It would kill your eyes. I mean, it was like. Little green letters on the black screen and all that. So, oh, yeah, that I get a headache <laughs> from that. Brandon, you got any questions in this area? Ah, uh, relatively. So, I mean, when Zebra folded uh, in in 1996, you kind of went back to work, just kind of sought another way to make a living, and then uh, took about uh, ten years before you got back into writing in 2006. Mm-hmm. So. I'm, I kind of got two questions on that. Um, was ha, did it take some getting used to uh, just that ten years of changes, and did you stop writing in between, or did you just kind of 
put it on the back burner? Well, I, you know, after that happened with the zebra, I just really, I was really bummed out. I mean, I was just, I got kind of bitter, and my agent told me write anything but horror because, I mean, horror was kind of poison. I mean, there was uh, there was um, horror lines shutting down right and left, and and the editors wasn't reading horror, and you know the main the mass market editors weren't. But um, I, I tried my hand at a couple other genres, and it wasn't taken off, and and I just kind of thought, well, you know, I had my shot, you know, I, I lost it. So I put on my steel toe boots and went back to the factories and and uh, I I stopped writing horror and I stopped reading horror, you know. So oh wow, um, that was ten. It's probably the most miserable ten years I ever had. So, <laughs> but uh, but uh, around 2006, I had a friend who. He was a he was a fan of mine back when I was about, about the time of Fear when Fear came out. Okay. And um, he he kept he said you need to go back to writing you need to go back to the horror genre and I, I said I'm not interested in that anymore and all that and he'd go to conventions and he he brought me a bunch of books back from the convention uh, a bunch of Brian King books a bunch of Brian Smith books and. Uh, James Newman, and they were all signed to me, and they all seemed to know who I was, you know. So, <laughs> uh, like Brian Keane said, you you were a big ex- inspiration and all that, and I thought, you know, really, you know, but because you know, there was one thing about right for Zebra, it was a very isolated uh, process. It, it's not like today where you have contact with your with your readers or fellow writers it was just i mean you were isolated i mean you, you you remember seeing those pictures of the monks sitting in their little cubicles writing their manuscripts and stuff like that that's the way it was i mean <laughs> oh, you, man. you pretty much did your own thing and you didn't you didn't associate with other writers because you know they were doing their own thing but that's one thing i like about uh, uh, the way it is now i mean you really get to uh, make friends, you know, you make friends with your readers and your fellow writers, you know, I've got, I've got tons of friends in the industry now. So, so it's great. That's awesome. They, people, um, and I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but people should know who the big hitters were back in the eighties, the seventies and so forth. It's, it's history lessons. History is important. Mm-hmm. Brendan, go, um, I probably cut you off. Go ahead, man. Oh, I don't know if you cut me off, but you know, I was I was just thinking about how um we've had Ken McKinley on here twice and I think both times we've had him on here he's gone on lengthy rants about how horrific the horror scene in the 1990s was. Um yeah. it, it, like he's been absolutely scarred by it and it sounds like you had the same experience. You know, it just it just went so far downhill that it killed poor yeah. Zebra and caused you to have to you know walk away from doing something that you you really loved and um i guess i wonder did it take that kind of break for you to discover how much you really loved it or did you miss it right away no i didn't miss it right away i I actually thought well you know i had my shots so i'm just gonna go back to work and you know by then I'd, i'd gotten married and i had kids and 
when I when I was writing for Zebra and everything, I was you know most most of the time I wrote for Zebra, I was single, and that's pretty much what I did. I just uh, wrote and ate and slept, you know, just uh, <laughs> and worked on the side. So, but um, um, going back to when I came back to the horror genre. Um, he gave me those books, and then people were on the message boards. So, you know, they're talking about me saying, is he dead or <laughs> But uh, uh, they said, I, you know, I, I read I read a post, and they said, I heard he went back to the factories. That's really sad. You know, and I thought, you know, that is really sad, you know. And um, but um, I read, I thought, uh, he, he brought me those books. I started reading them. I read the. Uh, uh, King's the, the Rising really enjoyed that. I thought, and uh, I read uh, Midnight Rain by uh, James Newman, and I mm. thought, you know, I can I can do this. I can do this again. And uh, so I announced that I was coming back. And I, as soon as I announced, I thought, what the crap did you do, man? You know, <laughs> you hadn't written for ten years. So, but I mean, it never went away. I mean, I just sat down and started writing again. And, and people wanted to to publish the old books again, and and actually when I uh, when Zebra shut down, I had two books scheduled with them, and uh, one of the first people that called me was Richard Sismar from Cemetery Dance. Nice. And he says he says it's good to have you back. What do you want to do? <laughs> and I said, well, I'd like to do a novel and a short story collection, and so we did uh, Hell Hollow, and we did Midnight Grinding. So. That was two of the the first books that came out after I came back. So, and then uh, we started doing the the zebra books again under the original titles, you know, because mm. zebra would always change your titles, you know, to the most you know bland, uh, mediocre title <laughs> title they could come up with. But uh, like uh, Undertaker's Moon, they changed to Moon of the Werewolf, which is, you know. That's that's about as bland as you can get, I guess. Yeah. You you get what you expect, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that that you wrote uh, to inspire a guy, and I think it's fair to say Brian Keene is very well known for within the horror community, and then he inspires you to come back. That's an awesome little loop there. I love it. Yeah. Oh. Me and, me and Brian's become good friends. I mean, you know, I've, uh, we've met at conventions and and we've, you know, corresponded back and forth, you know, emailed and all that. And he's a good guy. He's done yeah. a lot for the industry, you know. He, he, I think he, he gave it a shot in the arm it really needed at a time it really needed. So Brian has actually done that. I don't know how closely you follow, and I'm not going to get into details, but he's done that for the, the the last two years that I've known him. When we needed a leader, he, him, and Mary have been right there. Right. They've always they've always done the right thing, which is why I personally respect the hell out of them. Um, now, Brennan, did you have any other questions in this field in the series? No, if you if you have something that you're thinking of moving to, absolutely go for it. I got a question that. I I feel confident saying no one's probably asked him, but I could be wrong. Weldon, what what were you doing exactly? Like, were you working in an industrial area uh, for an industrial uh, area, or actually, I, I was welding saw blades for industrial machines. It just it's like 
you take two two ends of a saw blade and you'd weld it together. It was for these big industrial machines that would cut through metal and, and stuff like that. Okay. And but I you know, I did regular welding too, so you know um, it was just um, I mean I've done every about anything you could imagine. I've been a janitor. I've been a drugstore manager. You know. Um, I worked in a bowling alley once. You know, I drove a daycare. I drove a daycare van, which is the most horrifying job you could ever have. So. <laughs> I work in the. I work for a wastewater treatment plant down here in. The, well, not for you down up here in South Jersey, mm-hmm. and I, I bring this up because it's a industrial setting. There's a lot. I, I show some of my friends the area, and um, this one. I don't know if you know Michael David Wilson. I showed him before. He does mm-hmm. this is horror. He said, man, you work in a horror – I'm paraphrasing. He said you work in a horror movie, and uh, it gives me good ideas. So I'm curious for you, <laughs> not just the industrial setting, but – because it's such a – from my, my experience, been there for four years, it's a weird job that – it's everywhere. Um, there's wastewater plants everywhere, and uh, not too many people think about it. But for you, in an industrial setting or any of those past jobs, such as the bowling alley – were you thinking of stories to just pass the time? Yeah, I mean, when you work a, a job like that, it kind of frees up your mind to to <laughs> to create. I mean, I used to carry around a, a a little notebook in my pocket and jot down ideas while I'm trying to while I'm working or something like that, and I'd mm. open up my wallet when I got home and they'd all fall on the floor. So <laughs> so. I think I still got a, a ton of them laying around, you know, I need to probably pick up and work on, you know, but. Uh. That's great. I, uh, I was, a, and I, and I'll make this super short cause I want to focus on you, but I worked, uh, for a soda seltzer company, polar mm-hmm. beverages. And I mean, it's just like brainless. It's a lot of, you, you stock shelves and not to insult anyone, any of my friends that still do it, but you stock shelves and uh, you make displays. You don't have to be a genius to do it. But I, I'd i have these ideas, and I'm like, well, I'm ripping this piece of cardboard, putting that in my pocket after I write it down. I, I think I, I've noticed that with writers that, like, we can't shut that off. Yeah. Cannot- well, uh, Joe Lansdale told me a long time ago, he said, you want to be a writer, dig a ditch, you know, because <laughs> it just gives you – that gives you time to, to work out stories in your head and, and stuff like that. And he, you know, he worked in the road, the, the rose fields, you know, when he first started out and mm. look where he ended up at, you know, so. Do you, do you guys talk at all, you and Joe? Uh, not as much as we used to. When, when I was a young green, you know, green, wet, wet, wet behind the ear, uh, writer, you know, I would actually call him up and ask advice and stuff, and, and he was very gracious enough to, to you know, talk to me about the industry and, and give me some advice and stuff like that. And we've met over the years at conventions and stuff. And he's just been a, 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 a very, you know, he, he was actually like, kind of like a men, mentor when I was starting out, you know. And, mm. and you know, uh, whenever I did any of the, the big uh, like big anthologies back then, like mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Hot Blood or uh, Shock Rock or something like that. I, you know, I actually did um, Dark at Heart that him and uh, his wife put together, mm-hmm. and um, and we talked a lot on the phone about the story and all that. So 
it was really cool. It was good. It was it was a, a great learning experience, you know, having him tell. And act, actually, I had a chance to write, you know, ghostwrite a, a Western series, the, the Jake Logan series. Oh, oh, yeah, I did see you have a, you have a pseudonym. I actually did, too. Well, it it was actually written by several people. I mean, they, they had it under Jake Logan, but they, they had like five or six ghostwriters. And uh, I oh, asked okay. Joe, I said, I, should I get into this? You know, and he said, he said, I've ghostwritten before, you know, go for it. And so I did a, a couple of those and then they shut this must be my lot in life, but they shut down Jake Logan for a while. <laughs> and but it was it was a great gig. I mean, you write like a hundred and fifty page book, it take you two weeks, and they pay you five thousand dollars. You know, just uh, just you know, clear five thousand dollars. You didn't get royalties off of them or anything. But okay. I mean, shoot, I could have done that all year. You know? <laughs> Please don't shut down Silver Shamrock. Brandon and I are very <laughs> fond of them. Well, it's funny you should say that because when I came back, my first publisher was Nocturne, and they went under. Mm. Then um, Full Moon Press was going to do Essential Ronald Kelly's, and they shut down. <laughs> oh, my God. And then Thunderstorm came along. I said, please, don't let me shut Thunderstorm down at all. People. Thunderstorm's a fan favorite for a reason. Oh, yeah. He, he puts out some great. I, I actually got to meet Paul. Uh, we went out west. Or me and my family went out west, and and uh, we met with him in the Sisters of Slaughter. Uh, mm, okay. Which which I actually I actually uh, edited their first short story because uh, Melissa's. Which one? Uh, it was. Which one was it? It was the one about the. Um, it was like a island out in the sea or something like that hmm. but uh, actually uh melissa's husband said my wife and her sister saying about writing could you you know could you read some of those and i said sure yeah send it to me and and then we started corresponding together and i mean i we call each other cuz because it's you know it's like we're cousins, you know, so I love those ladies. They're they're really and they're really writing some good stuff. So I actually yeah, had my about that. I had a note because I talked to Michelle every now and then and mm-hmm. um, she specifically said, tell Ron how much uh, her and Melissa love and appreciate <laughs> you. So passing that along. Um, so you met them through Melissa's husband. Yeah, Chris Lason. Yeah. Do you, Do you guys work? Did you guys work together? No, uh, actually, you know, he was like a fan of mine a long time before you know I actually knew the girls. But uh, um, you know, he I, he would I, he would buy books direct from me, and I'd sign them. Usually, when I sign a book for somebody, I, I do some artwork in it because you know hmm. I used to be a I used to want to be a comic book artist, so I'd yep. do some artwork on it and. and Anybody who buys a book from me gets some art, some arcade artwork on the title page. So that's awesome. So you know, we he'd been buying books from me for years, and then he said, you know, you know, my wife and her sister's thinking about writing. And I said, well, great, you know. And so I, it just went from there. I mean, I'm really proud of them. They, I mean, they're putting out some good stuff, and and they're great ladies, you know. I fully agree with that. I've read. Um 
was it Isolation was the latest novel that I read by them, and it was mm-hmm. a ghost story. I thought it was fantastic. That might be it. That might have been what it was. So Yeah, because oh, okay. if I remember, I think that was an older one that they ended up republishing as a novella huh. last October. Oh, that has to be it. You said the same thing. Yeah. Title. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty I, sure I, that's what it was. I really enjoyed that, and all the stories, uh, short stories I've read by them, it's just, they, they're so cool. They're just very down to earth. Um, and uh, they had this story where they were saying they had these T-shirts where his sisters were slaughtered, and some people were saying, "Oh, I saw them in concert in the '80s," and they just <laughs> yeah. they just go with it because that is the that is a heavy metal band name if I've ever heard one. No now, question. Actually, when I wrote my zombie novel, The Buzzard Zone, mm-hmm. they're actually characters in that book. Uh, I have James Newman and his family in that book, and I have. Uh, Michelle and Melissa in that book. And they're pretty good. I mean, they're not like cameo uh, appearances. I mean, I actually thought I was going to write a second book to that, but it seems like people are getting kind of tired of zombies, so that book didn't sell as good as I'd hoped. Right. I I found that um, one more thing on the point of people writing in other people. I've done it with my stories. I know Brennan has, and uh, me and him were written in this. Do you know? Have you heard of Alan Baxter by any chance? Uh, Australian author. Uh, I might have. He wrote this one called The Rue earlier this year. It was a killer kangaroo, and it's just a pulp horror. Oh, yeah. I've seen the I've seen the cover. Yes, I have. So, uh, Patrick Keelan Burke did that, and uh, me and Brennan in that, and it's like if you're a horror fan, um, you want to be killed in a movie or. <laughs> A book? I don't know. It, say we're having this conversation and we're having coffee or whatever, and we're saying like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna kill you this way. Your arm's gonna get torn off, or whatever it is." <laughs> if someone that isn't into horror hears that, they're gonna think we're psychos. <laughs> well, who's to say we're not? <laughs> when I wrote when I wrote the Buzzard Zone, I, I I knew I was gonna kill off Michelle, and I said, <laughs> I said, "Do you want to be?" eaten into a, uh, you know, bitten by a zombie and turned into a zombie, or do you want to be in, you know, the the ending scene is in the Biltmore house in North Carolina. They hole up in the Biltmore house. I said, well, I'm going to blow up the Biltmore house. Do you want to get, <laughs> get killed in the, in the explosion? She said, yeah, just blow me up. So that's, that's awesome. I, <laughs> I love it. Go ahead, Brent. It's nice to get that choice. So uh, I, I want to, in a few minutes, I want to move on to, you've got two books coming out the end of September. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, um, if we have some people listening who aren't familiar with your work, the obvious answer is to tell them to check out the new stuff. But if you had to bring to brand new readers something from your back catalog to brand new readers, what what would you throw out there? Fear. They need to... Fear was my, you know, everybody wants to do like mag, Magnus Opus, you know, kind of book of the, you know, Fear just, that was my book. I mean, I had like several prints of that with Zebra, and then they brought it back out under Pinnacle in 2000. Uh, that book just, I don't know where I got the idea for that book, but when it hit, it was, that was the easiest book I ever wrote. I mean, I loved writing that book and it just flowed you know it was one of those rare um experiences as a writer where where a book practically writes itself you know 
And everybody, I mean, it's almost like a dark um, Wizard of Oz story because uh, the protagonists leave their county and go to this dark, evil county called Fear County. And and it was so fun to put as many nightmares in, into the that book as I could conjure. So, so if, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, you ask a lot of people who, who really like my work, which... Which book do they need to read? And it's it's usually fear. After that, I'd say probably Undertaker's Moon, the werewolf books. So that's the um, one that McKinley uh, suggested to us was fear. He's got I don't know if he has all your books, but we he showed us a picture of uh, his I'm just gonna call it a library at his home, and he's mm-hmm. got so many paper horror paperbacks, and there's just a section for you that he showed us, and um, the <laughs> <laughs> the one cover that I know there's a few, but the one cover of fear that I really like is the one with the cocoons. I don't know who that was. That zebra. That was zebra. Yeah, zebra came up with that. It was. I, you know, I really like that one. Yeah, I, I, that was one uh, zebra cover that I really approved of. I mean, I thought it was really great. Sometimes they did a cover like uh, uh, on something out there, which was actually titled uh, the Darken. They put this um, this green lizard thing coming over the top of the mountain. And I thought that's that's not my book, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I sometimes that. I think they would give the artist like a little germ of what your book is about, and they just kind of do a cover and zebra say, "Okay, that looks good to me," you know. So <laughs> close enough. <laughs> Now, as soon as you said, uh, you know, it's kind of your version of a Dark Wizard of Oz, you had my attention, but I know Patrick is probably online trying to find a copy. That's That seems so <laughs> up your alley, man. You, It's probably on its way to your house right now. <laughs> Wizard of Oz, uh, Alice in Wonderland, they're classics. They're just so... I mean, like, you could say, what if there's a horror version? But if I were to be pulled in either world, I'd be freaking out. So that's a little <laughs> bit horror-oriented to me. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, the first book you have coming out in September. So uh, the 25th, which is actually a couple days before this airs, uh, you have the Halloween store coming out. Yes. Um, and, and I'm going to let you talk about it, but I'll tell you, the, the one thing that really caught my attention was that a book coming out, you know, end of September, beginning of October, it's... It's a challenge to not make it look like kind of uh, a plea for attention, but you've put so many from everything from the introduction to the essays at the end. You've put so much Ronald Kelly into this to (laughs) basically say this is not, you know, me throwing out a Halloween collection because it's fall. This is I genuinely love this time of year. Let me tell you all the reasons from, you know, when I was four years old till right now. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how that book came together. Well, uh, back in 2014, I wrote another uh, Halloween collection called Mr. Glowbones and Other Halloween Stories. And it's it was like seven story. I mean, it was like five new stories and a couple of old stories and some essays. And it went over really well. And I, after that, I thought someday I'm going to write another Halloween book, and of course I picked 2020 to write another Halloween book. So, so um, uh, I started getting some stories together, and and I had some new ideas for stories, and and uh, uh, 
Actually, I only got the idea to do the Halloween book around end of July and August, you know, around August. And, you know, I really started working on it hard and, and um, I got Zach McCain to do the cover. You know, it was a wonderful cover he came up with. And um, it, it's based on one of the stories in there. So mm. and um, so I got in touch with Crossroad and they said, yeah, let's do let's, let's do the paperback and the. Uh, ebook and they're really they're really good to work with and they're really fast to work with so and a- actually people's already getting the paperback now because you know the other day i went to work and there was one sitting laying on my desk is the first one of it say that's the way it is with writers people see your books before you see them you know so mm. that's kind of that's kind of a sad thing <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean i so far, I mean, been getting a lot of response, and people seem to be receptive to it. I mean, I think people are really hungry for something just traditional, you know, in this year because it's been such a screwed up year, and and everybody wants to kind of get back to like traditional, basic kind of fun stuff, you know. And that's what yeah. I want to do when I wrote it. I wanted to have fun, and I wanted the people who read it to have to have fun too. So. Yeah, and I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head is we're all looking for a little bit of normalcy and reading um, uh, about your kind of description of uh, going into the store and there's the there's a bin of the rubber masks, the like <laughs> coveted rubber rubber masks, the high end stuff um, mm-hmm. and trying them on, even though your you know, your mom would kill you because they're definitely <laughs> covered in germs. Um, can, can you I, imagine nowadays trying them all on? Yeah. I mean, I still remember, um, the Brooks pharmacy and I don't even think that exists anymore when I was little. Um, you know, and I, I we didn't have the costumes in like the boxes with the window, but, um, they, they, they were hanging and then you could go through that, the same thing, the bin with the rubber masks, you'd try them all on knowing full well that 50 kids had put that on their head before <laughs> you came in the store. And there's just nothing that can touch that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that, that made me smile and it, and it kind of reached for that little sense of normalcy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to send my kids out safely this year or not, but you know. Hey, at least I felt good for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and in that book, I, I have to say my favorite, um, and it's it's a longer one. It's got to be, I would think, at least novelette length is uh, Pretty Little Lanterns. I thought that yeah. was such a cool story, uh, kind of bringing in that spin on. I don't know if you'd consider this a spoiler. We can always cut it if you uh, if it's too far. But that spin on kind of Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really, really excellent story. I really enjoyed reading that. And it w- had that kind of little, it definitely had more than a touch of gruesome, but, um, you know, I was jumping back and forth between the Halloween store and essential sick stuff. And all of a sudden Halloween store didn't seem so bad. <laughs> so let's talk about essential sick stuff. That's right. you have that coming out on the 29th from silver shamrock. Mm-hmm. So, how has it been working with with Ken McKinley? You can say anything you want. You know, we we trash talk him all the time on here. You don't have to say nice things. Ken Ken came along in a, a point in my career that I was thinking, well, I don't think anybody cares about my stuff anymore. I don't think uh, you know sales were kind of low and and uh, people were getting on the you know posting on Facebook saying 
Ronald Kelly, I never heard of him, and I think, well, that's thank you. <laughs> but uh, so rude. came along and he invited me to come on Goodreads and they did a reading of Fear. He asked me which book. He said, which book do you think we should read? And I said, I think you should read Fear. So people read Fear and people got interested in my work and and then he started Silver Shamrock and he said, I want to, I want people to know more about you, you know, so. So I did a story for uh, Midnight in the Graveyard, the the Saul the was it Sawmill Road, yeah, mm-hmm. which which was actually collect- based on uh, kind of an urban legend where I grew up, where we would walk to we would walk to the store and and there was an old rusty buzz saw and people said that the guy cut his arm off while he was cutting lumber or something like that and we just made our own ghost stories with it and all that. And, that's where I got the idea for that story. But then, then he said, you know, let's do a book. And I, and I had been wanting to, uh, do like the, the sick stuff collection because I had back in, uh, like 2011, I did the original sick stuff, which was just a little book that, uh, Thunderstorm did. It had like seven or eight stories in it. It was all my splatterpunk stories from, um, uh, Back in the 90s, when everybody was wanting to do Splatterpunk, you know, mm-hmm. it was uh, Skip Inspector and and uh, David J. Scow and, and Joe Lansdale. And everybody was trying to outdo each other with the most disgusting stories they could come up with. And, and so I did a few myself and, and uh, you know, I guess everybody did back then. But uh, but I did that little collection. It went over really well. And, and then years like last year, I did more sick stuff. And Thunderstorm did, you know, a pretty nice limited edition, but that's that's as far as it went. And not many people read that, so I thought, well, why don't I put those two together and do a new collection called Even Sicker Stuff? You know, it was a few stories, a few new stories, and so we put it all into that book. And then uh, uh, Alex McVeigh did that wonderful big tick uh, cover, yeah, yeah, that everybody seems to like. And, and so he also did 23 illustrations inside the books. So I was going to ask you who did those. Uh, so Alex McVeigh, I know he he's done a lot of your books. Um, I really love those. Those are original um, illustrations, I assume, for the story, yeah. each story. Though <laughs> when Brennan, because Brennan usually reads uh, books faster than me, when he uh, got to um, – the UPS one. He showed me a picture of Brian, I'm, <laughs> Brian Keen. I'm like, that's so cool. And there's one line. Uh, this isn't gonna ruin anything. Um, it's not a spoiler, but I love this one line. Keen's polite attitude began to crack and crumble, and he says, "Okay, who put you up to this? Dave Thomas, Mary <laughs> San Giovanni." And as a fan, because I first was introduced to him. Unlike my peers, not by his books, but uh, from his podcast. And they, I know Dave and Mary, and they are obviously uh, essential to his life. And that I could hear him saying what you, how you wrote everything. And um, oh, just for readers uh, that will read this book, Brian Key makes an appearance. In case that's not obvious, and he's on the phone, but. With the main character, how do you say her last name? Alice, uh, 
I don't know how I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up how you how you pronounce her last name Deech. Deech. I don't actually actually uh, I did I wrote some stories like personal stories for people through Cemetery Dance and she was one who and I wrote that story and she she just loved Brian Kane and and I said well you know I can ask Brian if I can put him in your story and she says yeah can you do that. And, <laughs> And so I asked him, he said, yeah, go for it, man. And, and, you know, I, you know, I know him well enough where I know how he would react to a phone call like that. So I could absolutely, everything you said, he's like, he's the type of guy though. You're a jerk. He'll tell you off, but he, I, he, he's, I think he's very polite to people unless he really doesn't have a reason. So I could just hear his voice and it, it cracked me up, but Who's Alice? Is she a reader or she's a she's a fan and okay um, a reader and and uh, um, so you know when I was doing those stories those personal stories for people um, you know they send me all the you know their personal information and I'd I'd put it into the book and and just build a story around them you know and and I've got you know I think I think I did. Uh, 14 or 15 stories like that through Cemetery Dance for people. And, and um, I got the rights to, to publish them, you know, after I did them for them. And, and I've been kind of putting them out a little bit at a time, you know, so. I thought it was a fun take on zombies. I I don't know it's, how. It's I, one of those black black humor kind of stories. yeah. Uh, I want to take it back to the introduction of Essential Six stuff. Where, um, and Brennan, you want to actually, you summed it up really well. Can you describe what your take on the introduction for this one was? Um, in a word, yeah, necessary. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> even if we kind of include the introduction from the Halloween store and sick stuff, um, it's funny that you mentioned, um, the EC comics, the Tales from the Crypt stuff, because I feel like your intros have that um kind of flavor to them like um like inviting the reader in and this like the uh use of alliteration and just they're very creatively done uh but i think what patrick is referring to is just the fact that you know on on essential six stuff um you kind of put your your introduction is as much an introduction as it is a warning and you tell um (laughs) about basically what you said before these a lot of these were written in a period in the 90s where me and these other people were basically trying to one up each other see who could write the most horrifying nasty gory thing um and you kind of need it because you know as soon as you dive into diary without that little warning if you just start on that story (laughs) you're gonna be like oh my gosh what have i gotten myself into (laughs) who is who is this ronald kelly guy (laughs) um that so, that story that story was originally uh, published in Cemetery Dance number three, the magazine. Mm-hmm. And oh, uh, you're talking about the eighties, then, right? Yes. Well, uh, it was it was early nineties, I think. Or nineties, okay. It might have been the late eighties, but uh, Richard Sismar said this isn't your typical Ronald Kelly story, you know. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I had I had editors back then saying that you know I like the story but it wasn't gory enough or 
or you know it wasn't visceral enough and and so we said okay well we'll give it to you if you want it you know so that uh and i'm not gonna say which scene but the scene in that story when i read that it was two pages in and uh, i just told brennan whoa (laughs) this is a a hell of a way to start it out and real quick because you mentioned tales from the crypt uh, for audio listeners, I am showing Ronald to uh, – I can't see that. I'm taking it out of the cover. I just figured you'd appreciate this. Um, so oh, it's I not got, mint anymore. Oh, no. Oh, that's nice. I got, I got that one, and I got uh, – Oh, Walter Hart. They, they're just republished, but they're both – they were both for uh, three bucks each at a thrift store, and I'm like, yeah, I want those. Um, I really like Tales from the Crypt. I like EC Comics there. Mm-hmm. They're just fun, and – that is yeah. the way that Ken McKinley described uh, your stories in this book to us, which had my attention. Um, so the next story that – and we're not going to go through every story, but just I'm picking a few that I, I really enjoyed. One that I think it's my favorite in the collection is Consumption um, without really sp- – Spoil and anything. The reason why is because it's just it's weird. I put myself in the position of the protagonist as well as his family. I'm like, I'm not. They tried certain things that I would try, and I'm like, after that, what do you do? And then the way <laughs> the way it ends, the last line, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's that's horrifying. Yeah, that it, I, I remember you. You got in touch with me. You were like, "This is how you end a story. This is how you do it." <laughs> yeah, that's, done. that's you left us on the perfect note, and I loved it. Uh, but you, you know, there's something about sort. Uh, it seems like a lot of people who are reading horror now, they don't like that twist, surprise ending. They they like a like they want all the strings tied up. I mean, but that's not how I write shorts. Short stories leave you hanging. You, you, you think, well, what happened after that? You know? And right, right. Cause I've, I've had people call me and say, Hey, what happened after that story ended? And I said, what, what story? And they asked, it's, it's like, well, you need to write another story and tell me what happened to it. And I said, well, I don't do that, but I actually, you know, um, there is a story in the Halloween store that I wrote. It's a sequel to a story in uh, Mr. Globogans called um, Mr. Mac and the Monster Mobile. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's, it's just like a sequel 25 years after the first story. But I don't do that very often. I usually just leave, leave it hanging and let you figure out for yourself, you know, what might have happened. Or maybe you don't want to know what happened. Maybe you just want to leave it. <laughs> Is that you know? So I am very on board with that answer. I I love the uh, and especially like you said, short fiction is just the perfect vehicle for that ambiguous ending. Um, I wrote a story um probably six months ago and I sent it off to three uh people to just kind of beta read it for me, and all three of them came back to me um with either a question or a suggestion for the ending, like. Um, because I left it wide open. They said, you know, one person says, does A happen or A should have, or you should more heavily imply that A happens. Second person, you know, does the same with B, third with C. And, you know, my take on that was I'm not touching it because I love the fact that three different people, um, 
had three different questions or interpretations of what happens next. And that's exactly what I wanted, what I, what I wanted to achieve by leaving it open-ended there. Um, and yeah, consumption does that nicely. Now, um, let, me, let me ask y'all a question on, on the story, the abduction, did you get it? Did you understand what little buddy was on the no. abduction? I was going to say, I'm going to plead the fifth because I was, I was left a little in the dark on that one. No, I didn't, I didn't understand well, it. Well, um, read it again. I mean, some people get it right off. Some people have to read it again. And some people have gotten mad and said, how can you do that to that little dog? And I said, little buddy wasn't a little dog, you know, so. No, I understood that part. <laughs> I think. So if we I, read it again, do you have a hint for us to help us? Because what if, what if we're too dumb? <laughs> very close to the protagonist. But, uh, oh, okay. No. <laughs> oh, I, I, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think I understand. I'm not going to say it out loud. <laughs> read, read, read the last read the last line in there, and, and that might give you a clue. And then go back and read it again, and you'll think, I, why didn't I understand this before? I, uh, James Newman read it, and he said, Man, that's, you know, I understood that from the beginning, and then somebody else will read it, and they'll, they'll say, how can you be so cruel to that little boy or that little dog? And I said, it wasn't a little boy or a little dog, you know, so. Okay, yep, I yeah. picked up on that. read it again. I'm going to read it again, but. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to do that, and we're going to touch base afterwards. And <laughs> I, I'm picking up what you're throwing, though, Ron. I Oh, my. <laughs> um. There's one that I've, I'm so curious to know. Mojo Mama, the last of the first section. Mm-hmm. Uh, could, w- this won't spoil anything. I took a screenshot because I got the Moby of it. Is it okay with you if I read just like two sentences? Sure. Because yeah, this, this sums it up real nice in my eyes. Trevor stuck his hand into the crackling flames of the fireplace Instantly, the larva sizzled and popped, and the exposed meat of his failing flesh turned black with cord—I'm going to mess this up—cauterization, but only temporarily. Like the way you—you you know what you're doing, obviously. Like you're <laughs> <laughs> the way you describe certain scenes. You, you kind of got this. Um, I think if on the spot, if I wrote it out and edited what I was going to say, it'd probably sound a lot smarter, but. Saying it on the spot, I would describe from what I've read so far, you're a southern gentleman that will uh, make you shit your pants and your flesh will <laughs> run away. <laughs> you know, that story, I wrote that story back in the 90s, and I totally lost it the 10 years that I was not writing. Mm. I couldn't. So I thought, well, I'm going to sit down and write it again, you know, for um, – for um, more sick stuff, and it was like three times better than the first version I wrote. So, three times more disgusting than the first version I wrote. But uh, um, I, I rarely do that. Sometimes I'll, I'll lose track of the story or something, and then I, I actually lost a whole, most uh, like three quarters of a novel in a, a computer crash, and oh. that I was doing for Cemetery Dance, and I, I still haven't got the guts to to sit down and write it again because i mean i just don't know if i could do it just as it might do it better than i did before but uh, so far i just hadn't got the inclination to sit down and write it again but 
because I owe it to him. That would be great. Uh, More Kelly would be not a bad thing at all. But was that based off of some um, story from the past, uh, like a southern tale that involved the characters? Well, not really. I mean, I I was always heavily interested in the Civil War and all that. I mean, I had I had um, family who who fought on both sides, you mm-hmm. know, the North and the South. And uh, and uh, my grandmother, she was she's she's the one who made me into what I am now. Because when I was a kid, I'd sit down, and she'd tell me all these stories about family history and the Civil War and ghost stories and really weird people and and uh, when I started writing, I started, you know, drawing off that. You know, I, I started, hmm. uh, you know, like um, there's several stories that uh, like Miss Abig- uh, Miss Abigail's uh, delicate condition. You know, she told me that story. I mean, uh, except for the end. I mean, I, I made the, the end a little twist to it, you know, but uh, but actually it was like a, a real medical case that happened. And and. Um, after she told me, I, I kind of Googled it and, and kind of located it. And so a lot of what she told me was based in truth, but I don't know how much it was. But she embellished a little bit, like, you know, like we do when we write and all that. Cause, uh, but, um, but yeah, she she got me interested in, in history. You know, I've, I've written things during the Civil War and the Great Depression and 1940s, you know, the fears set in the 1940s right after World War II. And, and just listening to her tell me stories, I could always immerse myself in that time period and write convincingly, you know. Hmm. And just from what her and my mother told me over the years and all that. Because so. you got, um, I, since I follow you on Facebook, you post some really interesting stuff about long posts about your uh, books and you had this one post that was your grandfather and father it says uh my father robert kelly sent in tobacco at the age of 16 while grandpa kelly drove the mules and it's a picture of your father with um, mm. i guess a f- brother or friend and uh that I, when i read mojo mama i was like is there is that somehow <laughs> interconnected a little bit <laughs> Because you, you got the boys um, um, mixing up with another story, actually. I was thinking about the story with the boys where they um, – I can't remember on the top of my head. It's not Mojo Mama. It's this story where the group of boys find this tobacco uh, field and uh, they start getting – they. Well, they, both my grandfather were tobacco farmers, so – Okay. Um, that was – I mean, I've never smoked or chewed tobacco in my life because when I was like – eight years old i told my my grandfather kelly uh grandpa kelly i wanted to chew tobacco and he gave me a raw tobacco leaf a, a green tobacco leaf and i chewed it for a while and got sick as a dog so i never <laughs> wanted anything part of that but that was part of my you know i thought you know actually i wrote that for new blood and that was another one of those splatter pump you know because new blood was writing was publishing a lot of splatter punk stuff and and um that was one of those weird stories you know that you know i i could get as disgusting as i wanted to so and they wanted it so (laughs) so i i actually want to bring up like three stories and i'm going to start with uh with housewarming which Mm -hmm. 
made me feel things. Um, <laughs> that, that, that story had had my, the hair standing up on my arms for a long time after I finished it. Uh, but the other two I want to bring up are uh, Cell Number Nine and Traps. And mm. I, I'm curious because those those are three of my uh, more favorite stories in there. What is it about creepy crawly things that kind of intrigues you? Because you you have a way of writing them that is very very visceral and <laughs> makes the skin crawl. I I've always been scared of spiders. I've been scared of snakes. I'm really scared of wasp. I mean, a wasp gets in the house and I'll run into a wall getting away from it. So, <laughs> but, uh, um, I just it's just that uh, you know you wonder you know you know. What if one of these gets on me or, you know, gets in me? I mean, that's what <laughs> a lot of my stuff, you know, it, 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 it's like almost it, what if these things invade me, you know, and and um, I don't know. It's just uh, I've always had a, you know, an interest in writing about creatures and, you know, stuff that, you know, you know, like wasp and uh and spiders and snakes and stuff like that. It's it's one of my my go to story idea things, you know. With, with um traps especially, it, it the way I read it, there was so much build up in it, almost like you know, I can almost picture you writing it just waiting for the bad stuff to happen. <laughs> almost anxious to kind of cast somebody into this situation where all this all this terrible stuff is going to be done to them Mm -hmm. um and i could imagine that being kind of a well i don't want it to happen to me so you know this is how i'm going to work that out (laughs) maybe i was thinking about some other people too when i when i made that happen (laughs) it's almost your duty as a writer to you know uh instead of uh physically getting retribution on people or in any other way, shape or form, basically, well, you're really, you know, ruining my day. So <laughs> wait till you see what I'm going to do to you. <laughs> yeah. I have a werewolf rip your lungs out, you know, real quick. So give me a bad day. So. Exactly. so I'd like to, unless Brent, you got, you want to talk about two more stories? Um, the, the other one, ones I would like to bring up and, um, Pins and Needles was another one that, that, that stuck with me. And it was, again, almost in a very different way, kind of that same visceral sense I got from, uh, housewarming. The, the, there's a lot of description in that story and it's not, it's not necessarily your typical what I guess I expect from Splatterpunk of just, you know, bad things happening in, in graphic ways. Um, you, in my mind, you took your time with that one. You wanted the audience to feel it. And in my opinion, you pulled it off with flying colors. That's a hard story to read. That's a very well, difficult story to read. Several people's told me, you know, you know, I had to stop for a while during the middle of that story, especially yeah. after the cake part, kind of, you know. Yeah. And, um, uh, but, um, yeah, that that's another old story. I mean, that's that wasn't something I've written recently. I mean, I wrote that in 1987, 88 or something like that. And and that you know, people people wanted that kind of story back then. And and uh, 
I, I might have, I think I embellished it a little bit. Sometimes I'll bring a story back, an old story, and I'll, I'll kind of put a little extra, like housewarming, you know, they didn't, you know, the tiny little spiders that was going down into his bladder, you know, that was kind of, huh. some, that's something I added recently, you know, so. Uh, that, <laughs> that made me tingle. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it made me tingle when I wrote it, so. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I guess, I guess uh, you know, some people will say, well, why did you miss with your own work? Well, you know, I, you know, I, I think writing's a learning experience. I mean, if you can, if you can improve it as you go, you know, with different printings, I think you should you should do that. You know, um, now there was a couple of stories in the Halloween uh, store that were originally Halloween stories, but the editor said, "Well, we don't want a seasonal story," so I took the Halloween out, and then I for and then I remembered, you know, when I was putting together the Halloween store, I, I said, well, I'm going to put it back in and make it a Halloween story again. So, but um, I've, I've done that with some Christmas stories where they just wanted the plain old horror story. They didn't want seasonal horror stories. So. It worked in your favor this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brennan, any, anything else on your end? Uh, no. See, now we're, we're in the danger now of doing exactly what we said we weren't going to do and going through it story by story. I had a couple <laughs> more I wrote down said, I love this one. I love this one. Let's, that's gross. Let's, <laughs> but, 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 uh, no, if, unless you have another one you want to bring up, uh, you can, nope. you can feel free to move it. Okay. Um, Alex McVeigh, just, uh, real quick to run down just a few notice, notable, Clients that he's had, he's worked with authors such as Stephen King, Brian Keene, Jorah Lansdale, Peter Straub, Joe Hill, companies such as Harley Davidson, uh, film companies such as New Line Cinema, a whole slew of publishers, role-playing games, and a few musicians and albums. So Alex McVeigh has been around, and uh, I I can't find a single picture of him. Um I'm friends, with, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I don't think he has any on those either. He's just got all his awesome artwork. But this guy's the real deal. He's awesome. He's I've checked out um, the things that I could find of him online. He he's, I mean that that tick uh, on your cover for the Essential Six stuff, the front and back. I didn't know that the the back page. I didn't. I've only seen the cover up until recently, which uh, I guess that's when the back cover was released publicly and it's just so cool. It's so weird. And was that your idea? Or do you just give Alex? Um, I, I usually come up with the ideas for my, you know, I, I, I give Alex a, or Zach McCain, like a, you know, I, I'd like to see this on the cover. I've gotten to that point where I can do that. And that's, hmm. that's really nice that when you, when you get to the point where you have a lot of control over what, you know, how it's, presented and uh, and stuff like that but um the the first time i knew of alex is when i came back and they wanted to do undertaker's moon and he did that famous blue werewolf cover for me which which we didn't get to do for years because i kept putting publishers out of business but <laughs> but uh, uh we finally did it and i mean that's the that's about the best werewolf painting. It's so it's and, frightening. It's frightening. And plus, plus when I do my books, I like real art on them. I don't like 
uh, photo-based, you know, covers. You know, you see all these horror covers now that don't really look like horror covers. They're mm. they're really mainstream, and you really don't. But you know, I like for them to jump out and bite you. You know, when you pick up the book. You know, so yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you as far as that goes. So, uh, is Alex kind of your go-to guy from here on out? Yeah, yeah. Well, him and Zach, Zach both. Uh, I mean, I can go to them and say, "Will you do this cover for me?" And they they they're on board almost immediately. And and uh, we do a lot of you know back and forth. You know, they'll send me sketches and and uh, and you know we'll go through it. And I mean, on my website, go go to RonaldKelly uh, dot com and pull up um, Alex McVeigh's Werewolf. Um, it, it shows step by step from sketch one to the finished painting, you know, how we worked that out and how that came about. So it, he's, you know, uh, we all, me and him, we were almost, you know, we're in sync as far as, you know, the Southern horror thing and, and we're just like gravy and biscuits. I don't know if y'all, that's, that's, we go together like that, but, uh, Oh, I'm a big fan of gravy and biscuits, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't I, eat the gravy and biscuits up north, you know. It's, it's I'm sure that. it's not the same. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure. positive it's not the same. <laughs> now, uh, yeah. Or sweet tea, either one. So. Definitely that not is, the same. That is how I feel about seafood, because I moved out of New England five years ago, and um, I'm just kind of a snob with that stuff. I'll eat it down, in, down here, uh, but... But at least you're on the ocean. I mean, it's not like you're yeah. getting seafood in, like, Iowa or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Never been there. Um, now, Patrick, I... real, real quick before we move on, um, Ronald, you brought up something interesting about covers, about how um, you kind of prefer the illustrated covers versus something photographic. Um, and, and that's something we've talked about on here before. And I think it's worth noting that smaller publishers, you know, whether you call them small or independent, they seem to be doing such a nice job with covers. You know, the ones that um, I think of when I think of the photographic ones that you're like, is this horror? Is this a thriller? Is this what is this? Those are more like the mainstream published ones. And I feel like not only are smaller publishers doing that, doing well with the covers, but the content too. It, it seems like you you can you know granted your your local Barnes and Noble or whatever if they're even open um, doesn't have much of a horror section, but what they do offer in there just kind of pales in comparison to the people the 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 kind of scale of people that we tend to talk to that we interact with. There's so much good stuff coming out, um, and the general public isn't aware of it um and i think silver shamrock is you know an excellent example i know that um your your cover obviously because we've been talking about it for the last five minutes was not a keelan burke but everything that comes out of that press you know when ken announces he's going to put something up there that he's going to unveil a cover even before you see it you know it's going to be a winner because it kind of encapsulates that idea, uh, whether it's zebra, whether it's just something 80s-ish, um, that you know what you're getting before you even open the book up. So, I mean, I think you're dead on. There's, there's so many horror covers out there that you're, you're, you look at it and you're like, 
this is not going to terrify me. And if it is, <laughs> you did a really awful job of marketing it. Um, but there's so much good stuff out there too. And there's a lot of people that are writing really cool books that are yep. putting the right covers on them as well. Yeah. And, and Ken's doing a great, I mean, he has a great love for the genre and you can tell that with his books. I mean, I mean, everything he's put out is book top notch. And, and I mean, it's, it's just, shows you that he's he's dedicated to the genre and, and he's going to put out some some good books and um, so yeah i'm encouraged by you know a lot of the the presses you know the like uh, thunderstorm and and uh, silver shamrock that they're you know they're putting out good books with good covers and and uh, and uh, you know it, it's it, it's almost harkening back to you know the old paperback days as far as because you know they've been doing the covers that look like a like a uh a beat up old paperback cover and all that. Yeah. Before. And that's kind of cool. And, and, uh, I mean, I got plenty of those on my shelf right now, <laughs> but, <they're laughs> my own. but, uh, really beat up, not just printed to look like it. Yeah. Yep. A newer one. That's out. Uh, they only have one book out right now. The second one's coming out next month. I think is, uh, off limits press. They do novellas. I don't know if that's what they're exclusively focusing on, but, the author, uh, the founder is an author as well. Her name's Sam Koyesnik, and she came out, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she came out with this book called True Crime, came out in the beginning of this year. It's just, uh, it's not extreme horror, but it's one of those books where I don't really know what feel to put it in. I don't think it, I, I don't really think it should be put in one area, but it, it's it's very cool. It, I'm just making you aware that that's, that's one worth noting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was curious as far as, cause we got off of the whole, you, um, you've mentioned a few times how you do artwork and whatnot. You're wearing, uh, the amazing Spider-Man shirt right now. I don't know if Jack Kirby was an illustrator for that, uh, line, but was he he's huge when you think of comic books uh for illustrators he's one of the biggest ones um what was he someone that you looked up to was he an influence yeah um no steve ditko started spider-man and then you know um several other i mean i was i grew up with, with comic books back in the 60s you know i mean from like 65 on to um like the nineties and everything, you know, you know, before they got overly expensive and, and, uh, got a little too adult for children. I mean, (laughs) I would, I would, (laughs) I would love, I've got a 12 year old boy and I'd love for him to read some comic books, but I got to look at them real close for, I let him (laughs) read them. You know, so the, uh, a lot of them are are pretty suggestive now. And, and yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, adult matter uh, subject matter and stuff like that so are you going to or have you read har- like more appropriate horror books to your kids is that something that you're gonna try pursuing um because i'm i'm a new father so i like the idea if my boy would like to be into you know horror and we can read it together uh i just took him to spare halloween last week and i stepped on do they have those? Uh, that's a, all over America, isn't it? Spirit Halloween. 
Or is that just uh, up here? It's a ha- right. Halloween store. Um, well, we got several down here, but I don't. I don't uh, it might be a local thing. I, I have not okay. traveled. Okay, I haven't been in uh, your neck of the woods ever, so I'm, I don't. <laughs> well, it's a Halloween store. They got some really neat decorations, some animatronics that you can buy too, and they have these little pads where you can step on it and they like jump out and scare <laughs> you. It's neat. You can buy them too, but I stepped on one. It was this old, like, I guess a witch or an old hag or something. And <laughs> my son, I was holding him, and he was just looking at, like, oh, okay, I'm not sure what this is. But he didn't cry. <laughs> he, he was just intrigued. And that has my gears turning, going, I'm going to push this as far as I can, unless he's not into <laughs> it. If he doesn't like it, that's fine. I'm not pushing I'm I'm, like, really easygoing about politics and religion and all that crap. Like, I'm not, like... I'm not, overall, my son's going to be whatever he's going to be. But the one thing I'm hoping he's into is horror and want to write like his dad one day. Now, I'm curious, are you of that same mindset or do you approach differently? No, I am. Uh, Bubba, he um, he I mean, he's a voracious reader. I mean, he is several uh, grade levels above. Oh, um, wow. And uh, he's he's read all the Harry Potters. He's read. Uh, um, all the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and and um, he's just recently got into like he's he read a book on the Bell Witch the other day and uh, some some nonfiction you know ghost story books and stuff like that so he's getting he's getting interested in that and he's starting to write a little bit too I mean he's, awesome he's, I mean he lo- he's a big video I mean he he plays uh, Fallout all the time Fallout so he's playing Fallout seventy six today and and um, you know, he's 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 a very imaginative boy. He he's he's a high function autistic, and mm-hmm. um, his mind works on a different level than you know. I understand him completely because uh, mm-hmm. he's like a, a little mini me when I was that age. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, a lot of people don't understand him. Uh, but uh, he's he's highly intelligent, but he can't apply it in school. You know, it's they expect him to do. Go one direction, he goes a different direction. You know, he works stuff out in his head, and they want him to work it out on paper. And so, uh, I am seeing he's he's really interested in horror. And my oldest daughter Riley, she she loves uh, Stephen King. She loves it and all that. And but the thing is, they grew up with Daddy being a horror writer, and they don't think anything about it. You know, it's like. <laughs> Uh, it's like, oh yeah, you know, Dave's got a new book out, you know. <laughs> but uh, but I'll show, I'll I'll bring Bub up to the computer and I say, look at my new cover, and he'll look at me like, are you a serial killer that that killed my daddy and took his place or something? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny. It's it's very um, you know that that's uh, a lot of what you said really resonates with me. I have uh, two boys and they're both autistic. Um, and we ended up taking them both out of school and homeschooling them. We're fortunate enough to be in a situation where my wife can stay home with them while I go to work. And it was, you know, and it was a hard decision to make, but it was a very, it was a beneficial one because the exact same thing that you described, uh, their brains, uh, work on a different level than, uh, typical public education kind of expects from them. And they're very, very bright, 
both of them, but because they can't, uh, can't, won't, whatever you, the way, whatever way you want to phrase it, because they're not going to do, you know, exactly what's expected of them in a linear fashion, like your neurotypical, you know, kid, um, Mm -hmm. They're basically kind of labeled as, you know, my, my older one was labeled as, um, lazy because Mm -hmm. he couldn't do it and he would shut down. Um, he couldn't read in a typical way and he would shut down. Um, my younger one was labeled a problem because, um, and again, this is where it rings true. He was reading several grade levels above where his peers were and, he was bored. He told us he, he, he told us he would watch movies in his head. Um, and then, you know, when some, any, and he couldn't understand why he had to complete something that he had already, you know, proven that he had done. Um, so, and, and it's funny too, because in a way, they, they both have that kind of same horror connection. My older one will go to bed watching the it movies. And he's horrified of them. He's absolutely terrified of them. I don't know why he enjoys putting himself through that so much. Um, my younger one is currently, I don't know if you'd consider it horror, but he's obsessed with, uh, with, with Ghost Rider. Um, which, I mean, it's a guy who makes a deal with the devil to sell his soul and turn into a flaming skull monster. If that's not horror, <laughs> I'm not really sure what you, I'm not sure exactly what you label it. Um, and you know, before I wrap up, I pulled when you were talking about it a minute ago. Um, I've got my Spider-Man issue 20, which cost <laughs> 12 cents. You weren't kidding when you said that stuff was a whole lot more affordable. 12 cents versus yeah, I think the last time I bought a comic, it was 4.99 for a single I've, issue. <laughs> I've, I've actually paid 10 cents for a comic when I was a kid. So wow. So I go way back, you know. So. Yep. Your boy might run into Brian Keene in the uh, apocalypse world of Fallout 76 because I have <laughs> I have heard him talk that he plays he plays that game. Oh well, yeah, I mean he he gave me he gave us some pointers when he started playing. Oh, okay, <laughs> I said look for the Mothman. You know we got to find the Mothman and watch out for those naked mole rats and stuff like that. So I don't know video games. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> Watch out for the Mothman and avoid the naked mole rats, okay? (laughs) I know that, okay, so by the time this comes out, you'll already have one book, Halloween Store, that came out uh, three days before Mm -hmm. this airs, and then the Essential Six stuff, um, which would be tomorrow uh, when this releases, is there, so excuse me if this sounds like such a weird question to ask, but... Is there anything new that we can expect from you in the future? Well, I am going to have a, a Christmas horror collection coming out. Oh. In December, so or it'd probably be a little bit after Thanksgiving. So I'm working on that now, and we're going to get that together. And I have a really cool cover from Zach who did the Halloween store. So so we got that coming out, and uh, then I'm going to start work on the the horror. Uh, western series which isn't gonna be i mean i know everything's splatter splatter western now and everything but uh, this is gonna be more traditional horror kind of than uh, than that probably i need to sit down and actually read them and read some of the new ones uh and and see how they play out you know so i can kind of wrap my head around what see the thing is you know I've always written the way I want to. I don't really, you know, 
I'm sure that different generations expect different things from different writers, you know, because I see uh, I see some of them get on there and they're kind of disrespecting some of the old writers, saying this stuff's you know their stuff's boring, you know McCammon's boring, you know Peter Straub's boring, and all Ooh, that. Don't say that to Ken McKinley. <laughs> We've talked about him so much today, but he he loves Robert McCammon. And, and he uh, pays us five dollars every time we mention his name. So Ken McKinley, <laughs> I hope that you and and genu- genuinely as a fan of Silver Shamrock, um, God, it sounds like I'm being paid by Ken McKinley. <laughs> Ken, McKinley. Ken McKinley, another no. But in, in all seriousness, I, it'd be cool if I saw another book through them with you. But um, we kind of cut you off. You, you were saying that uh, people, some newer fans, readers, uh, disrespect older writers by saying things are boring um were you gonna say anything else uh, along those lines i just uh, you know that they just don't seem to have respect for you know the trailblazers anymore you know i mean when i was growing up you know we you know i I grew up on stephen king and and lovecraft and poe and and um manly wade wellman was a great influence to me and and i came I can't imagine, you know, saying anything bad about any of them. I guess, I guess a lot of these new writers don't understand that, you know, a lot of what we did was character development. I mean, you put a lot of time and effort into building up, you know, I mean, it's not going to be a roller coaster ride through the whole book, you know, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just the generation where, you know, attention spans are a little shorter than <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah. I'm, sure it probably is but uh, you're absolutely now, right and like the novella um or, or and even if you don't consider it a novella but like that kind of 150 to 200 page book is kind of the go-to kind of the sweet spot right now um you it, it's not super common to you know grab a, a book put out by a small indie uh, horror publisher that goes above 250 yeah. um with that so, in mind oh go ahead when I wrote for Zebra, that was in their contract that you that you read that you write a like between 400 and 500 page book. I mean, mm. that was popular back then. The big the big doorstopper books. You I mean everybody wanted to get their money worth, and I mean they pay that, which they didn't pay very. You know they paid like three ninety five, four ninety five for a book then. You know, and you know people like to read the the big, you know. Uh, heavy books and stuff like that because you know it's a lot of character development there's a lot of subplots and characters and stuff and but people don't you know people don't seem to they they want something uh streamlined and and not as involved as it used to be so the the they're almost more cinematic in scope there's something that you could take every single element and fit it into a two hour movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, a, a 500 page book, you could turn it into a two hour movie, but you're leaving 200 pages on the floor. Right. Um, and you know, I can appreciate both. I definitely can, but, um, I, I'm always going to have a soft spot, uh, a soft spot for, you know, those, those things you could prop a door open with. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that character development. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, since I started writing, I came back and started writing. I started writing smaller novels. I don't, you know, I got to the point where when you was writing a zebra novel, it was, 
you were having to struggle to to fill in that space and everything. I mean, sometimes you had a, a you had a, a plot that really should have only been 200, 250 pages. And, and Zebra said, no, let's put some more stuff in there and, and fatten it up. And <laughs> you do it, you know. I, I tried to make it as interesting as possible. I tried to, you know, one thing about me and Zebra is that um, I didn't want to be pigeonholed. I didn't want to write seven evil doll books or seven evil children books. So I wrote something different every time. And, you know, just to keep me interested in it as well. Because, yeah, right. But, uh, right. So. Real quick, I want to throw out, if you're looking to kind of dive into a couple, uh, like, horror westerns, um, some of some of the, my favorites that I've read in the last couple of years, um, you said you weren't necessarily looking to go the splatter route, but um, of those splatter westerns, um, I think probably one of the better ones is The Magpie Coffin by wow. Wile E. Young. It's a great one. Um if you if you want to go a little more traditional, even though it's still kind of a, an odd out there book, it's uh, "Walk the Darkness Down" by John Bowden is one of my yeah. absolute favorites in that genre. I've heard of both of those, and I, I'm gonna check them out as soon as I uh, get some time to sit down and read. I, I mostly write now; I don't have much time to read. So, well, the but good news is they're both short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, Brennan? Uh, I actually don't have any more questions, man. Do you? No, no. So if you want to, uh, if you want to go into, um, uh, oh my gosh, my train of thought, right off the tracks. Uh, Ronald, where can people follow you? Uh, RonaldKelly.com. Um, I've got a blog, um, Southern Fried and Horrified. You can <laughs> such a cool you can, name. Uh, read my blog and. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, so just search me down there. And okay, cool. Um, you know what, man? I'll just extend the offer. In the future, you want to come back, please do. We uh, this was a. I feel like this was really necessary, especially for <laughs> newer uh, newer uh, readers, because yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. But you know, you said it yourself. Look at who who wrote to you when you stopped writing. Who said you influenced them? They're people that are big names now, so it's really important to know who is who who is the influencer back uh, before the current influencers are influencing the new writers. I find it to be important. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And, oh, it's uh, been it's been great. I I've re- really enjoyed it. It's been a great time getting to know you too, and I can't wait to uh, further get to know you over over time, man. So yeah, anytime you want to come back, we would love it. Thank you so much, sir. And Brennan, thank you for being my co-pilot as always. Absolutely. And real, real quick, Pat, I, I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to say that uh, anybody listening to this episode, the Halloween store is out right now. Uh, pick it up for some really, really excellent stories and some nostalgia in these weird ass <laughs> times. Um, and then the Essential Six stuff is out tomorrow. Make sure you read the introduction before you jump into the stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first one entitled Diary. It'll, it'll knock your socks off within two pages. <laughs> Ronald, thank you, sir. Thank you. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now reading Deadhead Space.